Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. If you're toying with the idea of divorce, repent of that today. If you've already suffered through those things and you're trying to get things right, well, listen, God can cleanse and forgive any confessed sin, and He wants to today. But know this, there will always be consequence of sin. In a sin like this, He says, sexual immorality is unique in that it defiles the whole person. We begin Matthew chapter 19 today, and in a message entitled, From the Beginning, we take a look at a subject both timely and troubling, divorce. Understanding the Lord's teaching on this subject is valuable to anyone who has ever been affected by divorce, those who are contemplating it, and even those who are preparing for marriage. So let's listen in. Matthew 19, we're looking at the first 15 verses, the title of our message, From the Beginning. As we look at the world around us and we see the devastation, the disease, the death, the, the desperateness of people, the disintegration of the family, divorces rampant. In fact, I was thinking if divorce were actually a disease, it would be considered an epidemic. And we see that the children who are marred by the things that happen in those dissolutions. And, and so in any case, I'm looking at all this and I'm thinking, Lord, what people really need to know, what we need to know is what were your original intentions? Because it's very difficult to survey our world today and get a picture of what the Lord intended. And I think chapter 19 in these first 15 verses, well, it'll give us a chance to see at least in three areas what the Lord was intending and desiring from the very beginning. It came to pass, we read in verse 1, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. From the beginning, the Lord, well, he created a perfect earth. He created people who, well, they lived in perfect harmony with him and each other. There was no disease. There was no famine. There was no pestilence. There were no plagues. And you need to know that, that this, though it's simply stating historically what happened in the past, it points us forward to something prophetically that's certain to happen in the future. Great multitudes, we read here in verse 2, were following after him, and he healed them there. Health and vibrancy, that was his plan A from the beginning. And let me read you something out of Revelation 21. You don't have to turn there, but, but John he sees a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And he says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God <clears throat> is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And get this, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You see, we have this historical picture of Jesus healing the hurting multitudes. And then we have this glorious prophetic revelation of a time where there, there'll be no healing necessary because we will see the earth and be with him as he intended from the very beginning. But there's something else 
Lots of us are needy today. And it's wonderful to know what the Lord has done and what he promises to do. But what about those who are suffering and struggling today? Well, here's the good news. Our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's able and often willing to meet us right at that place of our extremity and do exactly what we're praying and we're hoping. But here's the deal. When we pray, Lord, you know my situation, you know my need. We've got to know that he also knows what's the very best for us and all the people around us. And so we can simply lay our needs at his feet, at his cross, as it were, and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Ultimately, we are all going to experience all God has purposed and planned for us. So the past a beautiful picture of healing and restoration, health and, and vitality, the future the same, and today the potential to experience all that in Jesus. Now, the heart of our message today has to do with marriage and divorce. And if you weren't with us back in March, we actually looked at divorce and we talked about, well, we spent an entire day on the subject of divorce itself. And uh, I don't want to go back over all of that, but I do want to say this. The tapes are available. It's from Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 37. We did it on March 2nd. The title of the message was Divorce, Healing, Help, and Hope. And tapes are available. So if you're here today and, and you've gone through a divorce or your spouse has left you and telling you they're going to divorce you and, and you're being devastated by that situation or perhaps it's already gone down or happened to you, I encourage you to get the tape. It will encourage, I promise you. But today we want to focus in on what Jesus focuses in on and a couple things, well, by implication that come up. And so the Pharisees come to him, verse 3, we're told, testing him and saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, before we look at his response to this, the Pharisees, they'd been testing Jesus regularly. They were the religious rulers of that day, very conservative, doctrinally, biblically, but they were living lives of hypocrisy. So much so, Jesus would say, do what they tell you to do, but don't do what they do. Because they were teaching what was right, but they weren't doing what was right. Now, the Pharisees had come earlier to ensnare Jesus, and they'd say, hey, do we have to pay taxes to Caesar? The idea being, if he said no, well, then Caesar would be pretty upset. And if he said, yeah, well, then the people might be upset. So he says, show me a coin. Whose inscription? Of course, Caesar's. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. They bring a woman caught, they tell us, in the very act of adultery. And they say, Moses says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? Thinking we'll pit him against Moses. If he says, let her go, well, then clearly he's breaking the law. And if he says, stone her, well, then he's not the merciful guy. He's making everyone think he is. So he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And we see over and over as they tried to test him and trap him and ensnare him, the Lord deals with them. Now, as hypocritical as they are in bringing this request, our Lord's patience with them and grace toward them exceeds it all. You see, he could have just said, I know you guys are just, I know what you're here for and I know what you're up to. But instead, he answers their question, telling them really more than they ask and giving us some things that, well, we really can chew on today. 
You need to know again, before we look at Jesus' answer, there was a serious debate in that day, and it really surrounded a neglect of, or it was birthed out of a neglect of a study of the Word of God. You see, had they known the Word and believed it, well, Deuteronomy chapter 22 and Deuteronomy chapter 24 made it very clear that God created marriage to be a permanent relationship. That was his intention. That was his plan. That was what he was wanting and desiring. And so when they come with the question, hey, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? The conservatives, of course, would just go to the law and they'd say, hey, the law says if, if a woman and a man commit sexual immorality outside of marriage, they were to both be brought in stone. That's why those Guys could bring that gal to Jesus. Now, we don't know where the guy was in that particular situation, but they were citing a law. And uh, so the legalists, the, the conservatives, they'd say, well, the law says stoning, capital punishment for sexual immorality, capital punishment for adultery. Now, the just any reason question came up because there were lots of people who took Deuteronomy 24 where it says if a man finds an uncleanness in his wife and they didn't want to interpret that word literally, which meant sexually unclean, they said, well, uncleanness could be just about anything. I mean, she burnt the bread. That's sufficient for me. And so that really is, though we would chuckle, that's the kind of things they were saying. Hey, she's displeasing to me. I'm no longer satisfied by her. I'm no longer happy with her. And so I don't want to be married anymore to her. You know, if you're not yet married and contemplating it, or if you're a young married, you may not have come across the fact that you have something that is very common today. It's called irreconcilable differences. It is the most commonly cited grounds for divorce here in the 21st century, as it was in the 20th. Lots of other things. Immorality still is high on the list financial problems, other stresses, but, but irreconcilable differences. Man, you wouldn't believe how many people use that as the reason for getting divorced. And I want to tell you, if you don't know, all couples do now and will always have irreconcilable differences. And, and here's the thing. We learn to disagree in an agreeable way. To say, look, I, I see it this way, you see it that way. If there's a biblical solution, we're going to both adjust our thinking to what the Lord has to say. But sometimes it's just personal preference. I like things this way. She likes things that way. Fair to getting ready for that whole marriage thing, planning it out ahead of time. But, but, but the deal is, if it's just personal preference, then we learn, though, we may not always agree. We want to be agreeable. We want to cut each other some slack. We want to love each other. But that's what people pledge to do when they stand before a pastor or a or a judge or someone that says, I'm going to live with and love and bless and honor and care for and nurture and respect. And well, divorce then doesn't really fit into that scenario. So they say, is it lawful? That's their question for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason. Now, Jesus' response answers their question. And uh, if you believe him, it deals with some other core issues we're wrestling with today. Now, I don't mean necessarily you and I, but lots of people in our society, but potentially some of you today. And so he says, first of all, and we'll deal with all of these as they come up. Have you not read? I have that squared off, circled, because, well, that's the solution, you see. If you know what the word says, you know the answer to the question. What does the word say? Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? 
Now, he's only partway through his answer, and he's already dealt with two major conflicts that are, are brewing and stewing in our generation. The first is the whole thing between creation and evolution. Many say, well, we look at the evidence, and it appears we evolved. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he says, haven't you read? He who made them in the beginning. See, that should settle that debate forever. If you're a believer in Jesus and a believer in the Bible, the Bible says God created us. So evolution, listen, no matter how intelligent the person may be presenting the arguments, no matter how well studied they may be, no matter how many letters they have behind their name, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so worldly wisdom says we've evolved. God's wisdom says created by him and for him. So that debate should be put to rest. And then it says he made them male and female. This deals with, well, a major issue, and it will be politically this next big election, and that is same-sex marriage. Now, if you read your Bible and you understand it and you believe it, he made them from the beginning, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And from the beginning, he made it clear. A man is to leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And the idea of same-sex marriage, listen, if you're not completely sure, you just got to read Romans 1. That's your homework for the day. Make a mental note or mark it right now. Put your bulletin in it. You read it later because he makes it clear that, that there is a decline from ignoring the fact that there is a God, putting him out of your mind to what happens both spiritually and physically. Idolatry spiritually, immorality physically, and homosexuality, lesbianism and such, it is a bottom rung of that letter. It is a, a, the road to absolute ruin and depravity. And, and so God is saying, our Lord is saying, from the beginning, he made them creation. And he made them male and female. And his intention, of, he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That's the third thing. Check this out. He says this before there were any mothers and fathers to leave. He's speaking to Adam and Eve. And they're probably looking around thinking, mother and father, what's he talking about? They didn't have kids yet. They weren't parents. And they were created by God. So he says, here's how it's going to work. A man's going to leave his father and mother. He's going to cleave to his wife. And they're thinking, well, could you explain this a little further? Down the road, they'd get it. See, they'd have some kids, they'd grow up, they'd become teenagers, and they say, it's time to look for a wife. Go and find a wife. So in any case, the two, we're told, become one flesh. Now, this is a physical reality. Some have you know, made it simply sexual, although there is that aspect, there is that reality. God among the many other reasons for marriage, has made marriage that place where he blesses the family, the building block of society. And it's his desire that we raise a godly seed, we're told. So we become one in the physical sexual relationship that then produces an offspring. And if you check out the kids, if things have gone well, they have all of the things that you love about her the most and all the things she loves about you the most, both in looks and character and all that. And if it's not exactly working out that way, well, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes he's got all the things about you that, well, not, well, you know. 
But people usually can look at our kids and, and they can say, hey, I can see your dad in you. I can see your mom in you. Why? Because we have become one flesh. And in a very real way, we see that borne out in our children. Half of our DNA and half of, of you know my DNA, my wife's DNA. And now you have these kids, they have their own DNA, but they are a part of the two. They are the result of the two becoming one flesh. It's not just physical and sexual, though. It is mystical and spiritual. Jesus uses the marriage relationship, not just as the building block of society, but as a picture of what it is for Jesus to, to take his church and love and bless and, and protect and provide. He says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He uses that model to say, here's how a husband should love his wife. And he uses the husband and wife relationship to say, this is what it's like between Jesus and the church. So for this reason, a man shall leave and cleave. That speaks of the permanence of the marriage relationship. The parameters Male and female, the plan, leave and cleave, the two become one flesh, permanence. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, verse 6, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now get this. They're saying, is it lawful to divorce for any reason? And here's his, here's what the scripture says. Therefore, his conclusion, what God has joined together, let not man separate. People call us regularly wanting to get married in our church. We often ask, have you been here? And uh, Because, I mean, if you go here, that's fine. You want to get married here? We love that. But a lot of people want a church wedding, and what they want is they want the church feeling and the church setting, you see. And what we ask is, well, are you interested in a church wedding or a Christian wedding? And there's a vast difference, you see. A church wedding is just a wedding that takes place in a church. A Christian wedding is one where Jesus is at the throne of each life. And they're saying, no longer me living just for myself and the Lord. Now I'm going to live for you and the Lord. I'm going to love you and care for you and nurture you and bless you and protect you and honor you and cherish you. And that's the kind of things people pledge. Well, of course, Jesus is saying that being the case, having asked the Lord's blessing upon the relationship having pledged to live in that relationship, he says, hey, don't let man tear it apart. Then they ask yet another question. Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? He said to them, and we'll come back, but I want you to see, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted. They see, why did he command? Jesus says he didn't command. It was a concession. He permitted. And there's a vast difference, you see. He is going to give actual grounds for divorce biblically before we conclude this study. And he'll make that sexual immorality. Jesus was of the conservative opinion, the biblical opinion of his day. But, but he's saying, listen, that was never God's intention. Not, not divorce, not immorality, not the idolatry that often accompanies it, not all the devastation that follows it. But, but he's saying, they're saying, well, well, then why did he command to give a certificate of divorce? Well, it's simple. Deuteronomy chapter 22 makes it clear that immorality in the marriage relationship was punishable by death. It was a capital crime. God so cherished and set apart this marriage relationship that he says, if there's sex outside of it, that person should be put to death. Those people put to death. And, and so if a man simply divorced his wife, said, I'm not pleased with you, I'm sick of you, I don't want you anymore, which men were doing in that day as they continue to today. Well, when that happened, 
If there was no certificate of divorce, the certificate would have spelled out the reason for the divorce. I'm not happy with her. I don't love her. We're not in love anymore. All the things that people say and said. But, but you see, if the reason for the divorce was adultery, it was punishable by death. So the certificate of divorce was to protect her physically, first of all, from being stoned as an adulteress. The second thing it was do, to do was to protect her reputation because if he just let her go and say that people say, well, we don't want to kill her, she's nice, you know, we like her, she's been in the community. Well, then, then they still whisper about her and think ill of her. And so the certificate of divorce was given because, well, as Jesus says, men's hearts were hard enough and are that they say, I don't care what happens to her, I just don't want to be with her. And so he commanded there be a certificate of divorce, but he permitted her to be put away. That word put away means to be divorced. It's interesting. We looked last time about the importance of dealing with the offended brother and forgiving and being forgiven and all that. It's interesting to note that the word divorce and the word forgive, well, they're very similar words, and here's why. To forgive means to put away the sin or to put away the debt. To divorce means to put away your spouse. And so he's saying, yeah, it was permitted, yes, but it was never plan A. It was never God's intention. It was never where he was going from the beginning. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now, some would make less of this than our Lord does. Others would try to make more of it. Jesus is saying these are the grounds biblically for divorce. But you need to know if you weren't here for our last study, all sin can and should be forgiven. Even adultery is a forgivable sin when it's cleansed in the blood of the cross. Now, I wouldn't want anyone to misunderstand and think, so if I, you know, go beyond this fantasy world of the internet or I get beyond the movies or I actually commit the act, I can go to my wife and ask forgiveness. Oh yeah, you can go and ask forgiveness. That doesn't mean she's going to give you forgiveness. And you can come to me and say, Pastor, doesn't the Bible say she's supposed to forgive me? Listen, when you commit adultery against your spouse, you sever the covenant you made with her or him, if it's going the opposite direction. You sever the connection. Spiritually, you sever the commitment. That doesn't mean there can't be forgiveness. There can't be, you know, starting fresh, trying to get past it. But I want to tell you, people who get involved in this kind of stuff, they're just just devastating themselves, devastating their families, devastating their kids because the statistics for people who recover from such a sin, man, they are just horrific. And so my counsel to you as someone who cares for you and loves you, wants to see you flourish in the Lord, is, is if you're contemplating anything in the realm of immorality, repent of it today. If you're toying with the idea of divorce, repent of that today. If you've already suffered through those things and you're trying to get things right, well, listen, God can cleanse and forgive any confessed sin and he wants to today. But know this, there will always be consequence of sin. In a sin like this, he says, sexual immorality is unique and that it defiles the whole person. 
Well, Jesus says then, there are grounds and there are times. Paul will later add um, desertion to this. Lest a woman with her children, deserted by her husband, has to live without someone to care for her and for them. But, but Jesus says, except for sexual immorality. That's his take. In Mark chapter 10, the Pharisees told Jesus that Moses permitted divorce. And Jesus' reply was that Moses wrote them that law because their hearts were hard. While there are so many differing reasons that people divorce, a few questions have to be asked. How many of these divorces are because of the hardness of our hearts? At least among Christians, how many divorces could be averted if we allowed God to heal our hearts as it pertains to our marriages? And how many people do not want God to heal their marriages? This is certainly something to think about. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.